All right, so we're here with Doug Moore. Doug is the vocalist in the bands Piron, Sepetus, and Weeping Sores, and uh, looking forward to chatting about a bunch of stuff. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, you may know that I start these podcasts off by just asking about people's coffee habits, and so I'd love to know if you drink coffee or if there's any other sort of sacred beverage in your world. Yes, I do enjoy coffee and drink quite a lot of it. Um, uh, I drink mostly, um, in colder months, such as now I drink typically drip coffee, um, made with like a Cuisinart, like coffee pot that you can program, um, because I like to have it available to me the instant I get out of bed. Um, when it's warmer, uh, I drink mostly, uh, iced coffee. Um, we have like, um, uh, this big, uh, like air brewing carafe thing for iced coffee where you can, um, put it into like a, a sieve in the top of the craft and has a little uh, um, like raindrop simulator, like like grill on it. So it uh, evenly distributes the water when you pour the water over it and it cold brews on the counter and you can put it in the fridge overnight. Um, so uh, that's how we stock ourselves with coffee in the morning um, when it's warmer out. Um, I also enjoy um, espresso and Americano. Um, when I go to a coffee shop, I often get an Americano, but it's a little bit too much work for me to do that at home. For sure. um, and yeah, I usually drink a couple of mugs in the morning and then usually one in the afternoon to keep me going. And uh, the less I sleep, the more of it I drink. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a pretty big part of my life. Uh, I wouldn't say that I have any special knowledge of it in the sense of like a connoisseur or anything like that, but um, but I do really enjoy it and rely on it to get through the <laughs> day as, as so many do. Is that um the iced coffee craft thing? Is that like the Filtron or one of those things? Like is a, uh, a white thing? No, uh, I don't, I can't recall the brand name of it. It's, um, uh, it's basically like a sort of hourglass shaped. Um, okay. There is a, like a big plastic skirt into which you put the carafe and it, when you put the carafe inside of it, it opens a little mechanism that allows okay. the water to drain down through. And if the craft's not there, it doesn't drip, it just sits. Um, sure. So, um, so that's on the bottom of it and the top of it, there's kind of this like um, inverted uh, cone shaped uh, container that you put the um, the, the coffee grinds grinds into, uh, and then there's a um, sort of a filter that sits on top of that raindrop simulator thing. So, um, so the the concept is that you pour the water into it through the filter, um, and then it just sits in this upper area, um, you know, uh, steeping effectively overnight. Um, and then in the morning, you decant it into this carafe that sits beneath it. Um, and it's automatically locked until you put the carafe in there. So you kind of just pop it in there and like it opens effectively. Um, and then uh, you put it into the fridge. It's it's a, a black and clear piece of plastic, uh, okay. but I can't tell what the brand is at the top of my head. Uh, would you say that the other guys in Piron are also uh, coffee drinkers or like serious, you know, regular coffee drinkers at least? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, uh, I and our guitarist at one point actually, in fact, worked in a restaurant together where we were often both behind the bar. So we'd both be making the espresso drinks for, and it was like a kind of like a, a shishi soup and sandwich place. So there were a lot of um, often very complicated espresso drinks that we were cranking out in large numbers. Uh, and certainly that was a very caffeinated time in our lives because we just mm -hmm. drink, of course, you know, at the same time, because, you know, running around, you kind of want the energy anyway. Totally. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd say all four of us are pretty enthusiastic coffee consumers. Um, and certainly when we're on tour, there's, um, 
a mandatory coffee stop before we go start driving in the morning. Like we don't leave until we get the coffee. It's required. <laughs> so cool. Well, um, that gives me a good window into who y'all are. Um, <laughs> you know, the, I've only had like one person that has not consumed coffee and it's a strange conversation to have at that point. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, let's talk about music though. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Piron's been together since 2008, right? Yes, that's right. So, I feel like there's this trend maybe in metal and all sorts of genres in addition where like the sort of in real life band is veering more and more towards just like nerds alone at home in a room with some MIDI files. And so um, right. what what does it keep to sustain a, like a real life in person band of multiple humans? Um, well, it's definitely not the most uh, convenient or efficient way to make music nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, uh basically the most important factor in sustaining something like that is having like a positive interpersonal dynamic because sure. if you don't want to be around each other uh then you will not make the sacrifices required to engineer that situation over and over again especially you know um as time goes on Puron's been a band for coming up on i mean it's i guess it's 14 years this year now yeah. um and you know our lives have changed quite substantially since the band started uh, the membership is not the same but it's three out of four of us from the second year of the band so mm -hmm. um and the fourth guy is someone who i've known for even longer actually so um so um you know as time goes on you know people's lives pull them in different directions and you just have to be willing to prioritize um making the, the time and space in your life to get together in order to do that, it helps a lot if you're like really good friends. And, you know, fortunately in the band, you know, we have a pretty strong, positive internal dynamic that um, makes us want to get together and do something. And, you know, it so happens that we're in this band together. Um, but uh, other than that, um, a lot of it's just been luck, honestly. You know, um, we've all been like the we've had a sufficient number of people in the same place with the ability to do that kind of thing together um because no one has been forced to move very far away or has gotten some other kind of career opportunity that they are um, so invested in they decide they want to deprioritize the band um and you know i think in a lot of bands that kind of thing happens from time to time and usually you can you know if the core lineup is still stable you can you know add a new person to do it um in the case of Puron. What we're doing is very specific so it would be challenging to i mean at this point in the band like no one can really be replaced where our roles are all too um bespoke i guess um so i'm not sure what, what happened if that would occur i mean it's possible we would just be like well we'll stop or we'll start doing a different thing you know like um so yeah i mean there hasn't been it hasn't been schematic there hasn't been a plan to keep the band together um but when i reflect on why it's last and when some other bands didn't it's a combination of those factors i would say gotcha that makes sense um in terms of like rehearsing and stuff um can you walk me through some of the, like the practical elements like is there like a space like uh like do you rent a space or do you you know uh like meet a certain frequency you know yeah um we uh have a practice space um in the in the old fashion of bands um <laughs> and um we um under normal circumstances we usually meet um once a week or once every other week most of the time 
um, during the uh, the COVID period that's been disrupted and we've gone for long periods without practicing. Um, but when something is coming up, we'll reconvene, um, uh, you know, assuming that everybody is healthy and able to do so. For sure. um, so, um, so that's been a little bit disrupted, but usually I would say we've been practicing once or twice a week for most of that stretch or well, not once or twice a week, so once every week or so for most of that stretch, occasionally twice a week, if there's a recording coming up or something like that. Um, and, uh, the band's homes are a little, um, spread out. Um, uh, our drummer, Steve actually lives in Philly. Um, and the other three of us live in different boroughs. I live in Queens. Uh, Dylan, our guitarist, lives in Manhattan, and, and Eric, our bassist, lives in Brooklyn. Um, so it's a bit of a schlep to get us all together. Practice is usually pretty long when we do rehearse. It's usually mm -hmm. like a, a three-plus-hour practice. Um, right. You know, we take breaks and stuff because you can't play that kind of material constantly for that duration. But um, but yeah, um, so it's it's a pretty big time investment to do it. Um, you know, for Steve especially, driving from Philly. Um, typically sometimes the train, but typically he drives. Um, and so we try to make our time count. You know, we don't we take breaks, but we don't dig around very much. Um, it's usually pretty focused. Mm -hmm. Um, our practice space is quite small and cramped also. So there's not a lot of incentive to just like sit around and like not be working. like when we're in there, we're, we're, we're going pretty hard. Usually it has no cell phone reception. So you like kind of, kind of in this box, like you can't <laughs> contact the outside world, which I kind of like actually, um, mm -hmm. And I think that the the whole experience in some ways lends itself to the kind of um, pressurized or, or like kind of claustrophobic um, sound that we're evoking in that band. So, um, so it has a certain like poetic resonance for me in that way. Nice. And this is probably is this the practice space I've seen like little snippets of y'all practicing in on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. If you see pictures of us like standing way too close together and like our guitars are like up because you can't yeah. so they don't hit somebody, yeah, it's that room. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm out here in LA and I feel like that type of thing would be enough to discourage people from like, I mean, people in LA are always looking for excuses to not like go to what they planned <laughs> on doing. So, uh, you know, uh, that space is, uh, I, I admire y'all for doing that. <laughs> um, Honestly, I think that the time is coming in the very near future where we're going to try to move to a different room. It's a little bit bigger because I think we've all kind of, we, we, we've composed um, and subsequently toured on now um two full lengths in that room so we've been in there for i think a little over five years now and um we've pretty much had enough punishment when it comes to standing that close together and sweating quite that much when we're playing kind of not being able to turn around and stuff um but um but it definitely uh left its mark on the material that we were working on i think during that period gotcha um, yeah, I saw a comment that was like, I can smell this room from here. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's gross. Um, like they're not wrong. It's, it's definitely pretty, pretty greasy in there. So, uh, so I feel like one of the most common things I'll see when somebody writes a review of, uh, you know, anything from Puron is like calculated or like, I feel like people almost want to say like jazzy a lot and, um, you know, like calculated, like, I guess I get that sense but like i also feel like it, there's something very organic and collaborative um that i'm hearing you know without even like knowing really that much about the process of writing um does the term calculated seem to resonate with you or is it does that seem uh you know, off base yeah i mean well certainly i don't think that we're, we're jazzy uh you know we as people and you know fans we all like jazz to one degree or another mm -hmm. um 
I don't think there really is a whole lot of actual jazz in our music. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so I, I, that one I always kind of laugh at because it, it's 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 jazz being used in this like Spinal Tap way just to describe like um, complicated like cerebral music that the listener does not enjoy. You know, um, uh, but as far as calculated, you know, there's kind of a, a balance um, of the um, sort of like the Apollonian and Dionysian, you might say, in the band, okay. um, in the sense that um, there are some parts that are very uh, structured and very, um, you know, pointillistic and have lots of little um, intricacies that are that are planned um, and that are like drilled and rehearsed to the point where we can do them at high speed in a way that sounds relatively smooth, hopefully. Um, so, and there's a lot of thought that goes into the overall product in terms of the effect that we're trying to achieve and the aesthetic and the lyrics and all those things. So in many ways, it's a calculated band in the sense that it's not super duper spontaneous or tossed off or anything like that. And there is um, a fair amount of rigor um, involved in achieving it. But um, there is also, I think, a very freewheeling and like literally improvisational element mm -hmm. to the band in the sense that we do actually straight up do free improvisation in the band. Um, and in a lot of cases, even within a very tightly structured part rhythmically, uh, the note choices will be um, arbitrary or improvised effectively um, so that there is a uh, like a rhythmic sense of, of tightness and, and precision, but um, there's an unpredictable harmonic content to it. Um, uh, and in general, I feel like there is also, there is also just a certain kind of um, maniac off the cuff energy to the way that we perform as players. Um, I don't think any of us are very tight clinical school sounding musicians um, at any of what we're playing. You know, I think that there's, there's a lot of chops involved in what we're doing, but it's not that kind of chops, I don't think. Um, uh, and so in that sense, there is a lot of um, sort of ad hocracy in Piran in a way, a lot of um, getting things done the way that you can get them done, whatever that may be. Right. Um, and so in that sense, when people say calculated, uh, I think that there is a, a subtext of like precision or like clinicality that I really don't think that we possess whatsoever and couldn't even if we wanted to, it's just not who we are. Um, so, so in that sense, uh, you know, I see where people are coming from. What they're trying to say is that it's technical and sounds complicated usually, uh -huh. which it, which it, it is, and it does, that's not wrong, but, but definitely there is also a lot of, there is a lot of just like, uh, wildness, I think in our music that, um, they fly flies in the face of that choice of words. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was talking to Nick McMaster about this idea of technicality and like, he, he doesn't really like that term and I don't either. Um, but I mean, Piron is obviously technical, but it doesn't seem like it's like, let me show you how good I am at my instrument. Is, is, what, is, what do you think the, like the motivation is to create, uh, com or like uh, technical stuff or like what is a better word than technical? Yeah. Uh, I see what you mean about the term technical. Cause that, that word has a lot of preloading even prior to the music context and it gets even more loading in the music context and it becomes very hard to um, really interrogate what someone's saying when it's technical. I mean, yeah. there's all kinds of different possible overtones to this term technical. Um, uh, and it, it's funny that you, that you mentioned Nick in that sense, because, you know, he's in, he's in some bands that are like very cerebral and heady in some ways. Obviously a lot of the Kralis material is, um, uh, you know, super composed sounding and has this like 
almost borderline uh, classical feel to it. Um, but there's also the cross material that's, you know, super knotty and has a similar kind of um, disorienting complexity to it. Um, and, and these other sort of side bands are like that too. Um, and yeah, so I, I think what, for us, the reason that we tend to make complicated stuff is to achieve like a, a more general aesthetic effect of being um, overwhelmed or, mm -hmm. or dizzied or disoriented or, um, you know, kind of um, taken on a, on a ride that you can't control, right? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to achieve an emotional effect. Um, that doesn't always translate for everybody. Obviously, a lot of people um, find any kind of complexity of that sort to feel very clinical. Um, but uh, uh, I, I guess that for the term that I would refer to here used to describe the, the approach to sort of the chopsy musicianship stuff in the band, um, I think of it as being very, very frantic um, or sort of uh, wild, I guess. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for me to um, over determine other people's word choices in this way, because, you know, all these words are very, anytime you use these kind of things to describe music, it's metaphorical and not only a metaphor for the sound of the music, it's a metaphor for what it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. um, so um, uh, technical is just one of those words that has that kind of like music writer shorthand for a bunch of assumptions thing. And that, right. that's the reason it bugs me more, uh, especially when you, when you combine it with, with death metal, because say technical death metal, there's like, there's a lot of death metal that is technical that people, but, but when you say technical death metal, there's this kind of certain aesthetic sheen to it that is common to a lot of very archetypal, like popular bands in that style. Um, the, the tech death thing, right. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is, is being different from death metal that is technical, you know? Um, and so like to, for me, the reason that word's kind of uncomfortable is because it's collapsing all this stuff, um, into that. And, and it always just feels a little bit derogatory, you know, um, in the sense that you that you were saying where it's, you know, um, it's borderline synonymous, even with people who like it with like flashiness or like showiness for the sake of like uh, demonstrating technique in this kind of like DVD player way, you know, um, and that's really super not what we're about as a band, I don't think so. Gotcha. Um, these are sort of an arbitrary, you know, collection of words, but it, would you feel like uh, chaos or complicatedness or complexity uh, just one of those best describe what the goal is yeah i think that in the case of of Piron, um uh sort of the the sense of of, of chaos or the kind of like rhythmic freefall is 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 more what, closer to what we're trying to achieve um but not and and some sometimes to the point of actual literal randomness like i was saying earlier yeah. um but not to the point where there you can't engage with it, um, not to not to an academic extent. Um, and for for me at least, the intention with Piran is always to be uh, evoking some kind of emotional response more than a intellectual one. Um, sure. That's the that's the part of the band that I cherish the most, and I think it's I think it's fair to say it's the part that we prioritize or at least value most highly um, of the things that our music can achieve. Um, pulling off like a an impressive intellectual feat um, is not really what we're after. I mean, right. if that happens along the way, then cool, but it's not, it's not, we're, we're not motivated by the attempt, some attempt to solve like a, like a, a compositional conundrum or something like that, mm -hmm. or, 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 or forge new territory in that way. Um, it's more about um, something that's uh, uh, gut level, I would say. Okay, so there, there's no like number crunching. That's really or like high level geekery. 
Um, I mean, sometimes those things get deployed for the like for you know uh, nuts and bolts compositional purposes, right? You know, like um, we don't notate very much. We try to keep our stuff as like oral traditiony as we can because um, that kind of caps how ridiculous you can get with it in a way that uh, I think that we all kind of like, um, just in the sense of not getting lost too far up our own asses, you know. For sure. Um, um, but sometimes we use more like uh, like sort of songwriting rules or schema to like produce interesting effects um, uh, in terms of just sequencing and structuring um, an overall song. Um, there is one, there's one song on our most recent record, Abscess Time, where the structure is symmetrical, basically. Um, uh, it's not strictly this, but the way that it's structured is there's like an A part, a C part, uh, and then a D part, and then it goes back. The D part, the D part is kind of um, uh, relatively short sort of loop that um, is pretty balanced uh, in terms of like the melodic contour. Um, and then from there, it goes back to the C part, but the C part is kind of rearranged in reverse. And then the B part, it's kind of rearranged the original B part and so forth with the A part. Um, so it's kind of this uh, symmetrical shape um, in terms of the structure. Um, but that's more like, that's not really a, a dominant element of the band doing that kind of thing. It's just like, like, oh, I wonder if we can write a song like this. There is an element of like play and exploration in the band for finding new ways to generate ideas. Um, there's some other stuff in the same album where the rule is basically like no writing outside the room um, and no and no core guitar riff. Um, they ended up being a couple songs where basically it's all predicated on a very repetitive bass and drum groove that uh, where all of the complexity come, is like vertical. Uh, it's all like layering and adding stuff on top of it um, and the rhythm section and some aspects of the guitar are like very static throughout them. Um, so we like to do stuff like that just to encourage ourselves to write different kinds of songs. But um, but that's more like a way of getting ourselves into the right kind of writing space to maybe achieve some of the emotional effects that we're the most interested in. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, with that rule of not writing outside of the room, um, does that mean that like the riffs are purely maintained in your heads or are there ever like, you know, voice memo, you know, recordings of guitar riffs or um, anything like it's, that? It's more in contrast to like the the, the typical way that Puron songs are in, um, initiated, which is with, usually with one person writing some stuff on one instrument, um, typically guitar. Um, all four of the members of the band can play guitar. Um, and so uh, typically um, everyone except for Eric, our bassist, will write on guitar. Eric has written on bass sometimes. The others of us have maybe thrown some ideas in bass there uh, in a similar fashion, but it's mostly been that way. Um, but there's a lot of modification and sort of collective development and you know adding improvisational segments and stuff like that that happens with the songs after one person originates them but in that sense having a song where there's just literally no writing at all outside of the room it's all conceived um through uh sort of the, the group dynamic and um group improvisation and group iteration um that sets it apart um we record our practices quite a lot um typically it is just like a crappy cell phone recording um and which can be very grisly to listen to even more so than just the actual sound of the band, which is substantial. Um, but, but they do allow us to like, at least like reflect on what worked and what didn't. So um, there's a lot of iteration takes place that way, like playing the songs together, recording them, um, listening back to them, seeing 
what details came through, what didn't. Um, one nice thing about working in that fashion is that um, the crappiness of the cell phone recording and like the very harsh way that the sound is inside of that tiny room and these big amps all kind of blasting into the center of the room is that um, you find out what's going to get lost live. You find out like, okay, like, you know, this part is not going to translate whatsoever live. It's just going to sound weak or not punch through. Um, and to the extent that's possible, we like to have everyone share the sonic space when we're playing a song live and being a relatively small time band, we're often playing in pretty unfriendly audio environments, you know, just shitty bars and basements and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of an interesting stress test to see what like a cell phone recording of a song can capture because it often will reveal that something um, isn't really standing up to the rest of what's going on or that something's overpowering the rest of the instrumentation in some way. Um, so it can be, yeah. So that's like kind of a, a side benefit of this, but um, but even for the stuff that we write in the room, there's a lot of this listening back to what we've been working on. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Um, so um, I guess like it seems like the mission statement in some ways, and maybe calling it a mission is, is silly, but like uh, the idea of like expanding the definition of uh, heavy metal. I'm curious. Besides, say, gore guts, who would you consider as doing this currently? Um. Who is expanding the definition of heavy metal? <laughs> uh, th that is that the, the quote that's on Wikipedia? Something like that on Wikipedia. I thought it was maybe on the Bandcamp too, but I okay. saw that a few times. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's this quote on Wikipedia from an interview that I gave in like probably almost ten years ago now, where mm -hmm. like that was kind of like the idea at the time, um, and that that was true sort of more in the early days of the band before we realized that. Um, questions of genre like that aren't like, I mean, frankly, they're just not that really interesting to me. Um, yeah. I do think there's some bands that are doing interesting things around the margins of like extreme metal, especially um, uh, a project that comes to mind. I'm sure you're familiar with is uh, Jude Guide. Um, you still, you still there? You yeah, I am. Yeah. You froze up too, but I, I'm, I heard, I heard you. <laughs> Jude Guide. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, yeah, it's sorry, the, the audio and the video are getting synced back up, you know, when it freezes it, it like slowly catches up. Totally, um, yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> you can edit that out in post. Fix it in post. Fix it in post. Um, okay, so yeah, um, so uh, so one example is that project Jutegite, um, mm -hmm. who and you know that that guy's doing a lot of interesting things with um it's I, I'm not sure if I'm describing this accurately, but it seems like he's procedurally generating compositions to some extent, um, using a lot of rules that are from uh like the the western classical repertoire like i know he likes to work with canons a lot and stuff like that but but it's all very like um um computation oriented he's like you know just like bouncing numbers off each other and kind of performing them on a guitar and then um integrating a lot of cool uh loops and noise layers and stuff like that um that's pretty fun um uh colin's band colin colin marston's band uh senathrak with with mick and um Wiesel walter um and and paulo um, I like that one a lot. It's, um, uh, uh, it's improvised brutal death metal basically. So it takes like the, you know, naturally gibberishy nature of brutal death metal and makes it actually random, which I, that appeals to me. Um, obviously as someone who also likes to play in here, random notes, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see what else, um, boundaries of heavy metal. Uh, there's some other bands that are kind of in that style, um, sort of like Recent bands that are kind of spinoffs, when I think of as like sort of the the core premise, at least of its Um 
there's this band Effluence um, that I think is, um, it's one guy who um, is based in California, I want to say, um, who is doing something that's kind of in a similar, um, you know, free, free music um, inflected, um, uh, but a very brutal, like death metal style, but it's got some, some fusion elements. He does a lot more with production. Um, there's like key layer, there's like, you know, keyboard and synth layers in it and stuff like that. It just has a little bit more of like, um, like a, a cut up kind of feel, you know, um, it reminds me a little bit of there's, um, there's this band called Mulk, another band that's a little bit, they're a little bit older, but, um, they are somewhere between like, um, uh, like, like a gore grind band, like last days of humanity or something like that. One of these, like these ping kind of bands. Right. <laughs> um, um, it's, it's somewhere between like a very extreme ping band and, um, like a very extreme form of techno, like, um, speed pour, I think they call it sometimes like it's very chopped up, like super, super, like, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, the stuff I'm thinking of is, is in like the neighborhood of Gabber or like a descendant of Gabber or something like that. And it's like super, super kinetic, like you know, 200, 300 BPM, like electronic <laughs> music, um, you know, like up in like, mm-hmm. up and past like death metal and grindcore tempos. Um, with the, it also has this like very um, cut up uh, sort of sample oriented sound, it's been Mulk, um, who are kind of, I think of them as effluence being in that neighborhood. Um, there's another project like that, that I think is probably related to effluence in some way called Tantric Bile. Um, that <laughs> Tantric has Bile, a- that's good. It's a great band name too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have uh, a more of a explicit um, jazz influence, but it's like very sardonic and like like sort of hateful towards jazz. It's 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 pretty it's pretty entertaining stuff. I mean, uh, to the extent that these bands are really like opening new vistas into what heavy metal can be, like you know, I think that when I first started making this kind of like working with people making this kind of like fringe some somewhat metal like somewhat other kinds of things um sort of uh integrative music i was you know naively hopeful that it would like really you know take off and 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 such um because i was you know 21 22 and that kind of thing seems possible at that time and um well, that hasn't happened. I will say that there is more of that kind of thing out there and available, um, at least to me, than there ever has been. Um, so to some degree, I think like the, the boundaries that I was interested in seeing broken have just like been broken now. And yeah. like, not that many people like it and that's fine. Like, of course they don't, you know, like, but that's, um, it's, it's been gratifying in that way just to see that there's now a proliferation of this stuff. And of course, of course, the um, the rise of Bandcamp has helped a lot with that. It's so much easier to distribute that kind of thing in a way that feels meaningful than it used to be. Um, you know, back when you know, I'm 34, uh, back in my my teen years, um, if you wanted to find a super obscure um, thing, you know, like record on the internet, you'd have to basically know the right people or like you know just like run the risk of getting a computer virus trying to find it. <laughs> so, um, so to me, it's yeah, exactly. Soulseek or like uh, there's lots of people posting um links to uh you send it uploads of uh zip files containing albums and forums and stuff like that um and yeah there's the whole torrenting thing you know um so there is there are ways to, to get it and so in that sense like the the period of abundance for that kind of music had already begun even then but now it's just like so easy and there's there's so like nicely presented and like the quality's good um there there's you know more bands like that than i ever thought there would be so 
so in some ways I feel like, you know, like the mission has been accomplished, not by me per se, but you know, just like broadly speaking. So, um, so it's, it's been nice to see in that way. Cool. Cool. I'm looking forward to checking out all these bands. Um, yeah, I can follow up and like write with the names and everything. So, um, what was I going to say here? Uh, so I guess like, uh, metal, it seems like, you know, is largely becoming like a multimedia thing. Like, um, it's a great vehicle for composition, but also like, you know, there sort of has to be like, you know, cover art that has something going into it there. Like generally is like apparel, like, is like, I feel like the long sleeve tee is like a whole thing that's part of it. Um, and like, I know that y'all work with, uh, Caroline Harrison, um, kind of on a regular, you know, uh, basis for your album covers. And so when, um, like, I'm sure that the lyrical content affects the sort of like theme of an album, but, uh, like, I guess, like, how do you cultivate those themes and, you know, bring in Caroline and that type of thing? Um, well, so one piece of context that will probably be informative here is that, um, Caroline's actually my, my partner. Um, oh, okay. we've, we've, we've been together for about as long as Piran has been around. Um, we met shortly before the band formed. Um, so she has really been, um, along for every step of the way, um, and has, you know, witnessed the conceptual and aesthetic, you know, sort of evolution of the band from the word go literally, um, you know, and I, Damn. uh, talked to her about, um, you know, what I'm thinking creatively a lot and she, she's an artist, so she understands like the, you know, the way this process works. Um, so, so yeah, like as a result of that, we've been able to collaborate with a level of closeness that I think it would be pretty uncommon in other circumstances. Um, and so it, it just kind of so happens that, I mean, I'm sure there's some mutual influence going on here, but it kind of just so happens that our, um, our creative work is compatible in this way, uh, where it kind of made sense to plug her into this, like sort of like, you know, Ray Pettibon and Black Flag sort of role of mm -hmm. just like the house artist um, who uh, essentially like designed and, and maintains the entire visual aesthetic of the band. I mean, we've had, we've had some, t-shirt designs done by other artists and flyers and, and whatnot. But as far as the album covers and the, the vast majority of the merch, it's all been her. Um, and really it's, uh, you know, there's not, it doesn't feel like work to do that because, you know, we're, we're talking about this stuff anyway. Um, and she is um, very receptive to input as far as the, the content of the pieces. Um, I, I generally don't, I try not to say too much about the implementation details because I don't want to backseat drive and she knows so much more about it than I do. Um, so uh, usually we kind of agree on a general direction for the thing and she just lets it rip. Um, and uh, it's worked out really incredibly well for us. I think it's been such a boon for the band because really no one in the band has um, all that much of a, a visual flair, you know, it's not something a lot of bands have like some guys good at graphic design or, or whatever, um, or, you know, has a, just at least like a really strong eye. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that any of us really have that. So um, it's been really an, an incredible resource and an incredible privilege to have someone who, who I trust so much, who understands exactly where we're coming from in a way that few people could. Um, and who also has the entire context of the band. So even like, um, it, it really comes out recently in some of the merch because, you know, as, as bands go on, like your merch just gets like dumber and dumber and just do sillier stuff. Cause like, you know, like the, your, your ability to take yourself super seriously in that young metal band way just gets mm -hmm. like beaten out of you by life basically. Um, 
So now that we're like kind of like making like just goofier merch and stuff like that, she under, she just understands like the in band. She knows all the in jokes and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you know, whenever we come home from tour, she has to listen to us all say all the in jokes for like months afterwards. So 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 even she, she even like she knows us even on that level, you know. Um, nice. And that means that she's been able to like you know do like funny goofy shirts for us as well, like all the very serious like stark severe looking um, images that she's created for the band. Um, and yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's just, it's super handy. I, it, it's, I, because Pure On is my first serious band. Um, it's hard for me to imagine being in a scenario where that was just like a big gulf for the band that we had to fill and, or got like stuck with like some crappy generic art or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, to some degree, not to some degree, but like, it's very clear to me that Puron would not be as well known if it wasn't for her art. Cause it's so eye catching. Um, sure. and, and also like has such a, a strong, consistent, um, aesthetic, you know, from one album to the next, it really looks all like you know, the images are radically different, but it all looks like the same hand. Um, and that, that kind of thing, you know, to me is the, the visual aspect of a band that I prize more highly than anything else, more than sort of the way, um, you know, or t-shirt designs or, or, or the way that the band looks on stage, you know, like costumes or, or stage dressing or all that stuff. Like, you know, as a fan, um, when I think of a band's visual aesthetic, I always think of the album covers, even if they have something else that's like very um, uh, uh, busy and eye catching going on. So, um, so it's really been something that we're just like very lucky to have for uh, going for us. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm jealous because you know my partner is also a visual artist, and I feel like it's a, a big deal to get her to do anything collaborative with me. Uh, <laughs> but maybe just because we have differing aesthetics, you know, um, she's she's not into heavy stuff like that, but um in terms of uh i like i read somewhere that you didn't want to have like one of these sleek cyborg covers and um i I get that um and like it's funny because you know with my project right now like there's an underlying sort of cyborg uh energy to it i guess uh where it's just like a little bit uh dorkier or like you know more mathy and um yeah i guess i don't know what my question is here but um is, is there anything in that realm that you're into in death metal like any sort of sleeker stuff oh yeah i mean for sure there's lots of like sort of more polished looking and sounding bands that i like i mean for for your band it makes perfect sense because the band in some sense literally is a is a machine right you know um or or it's it's a machine that you're controlling and you know at least so um uh, you know the, that kind of, that whole look of like a, a slick polished like um 3d rendered monster there, there's lots of of death metal that I like that has that look. I mean, a very obvious example, I mean, they don't have the monster thing, but very obvious like robot looking and sounding band that I like is Wormed, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and and their their lyrics are all about um, uh, astronomy and particle physics and stuff like that. And like very, very experimental kinds of math. So like it fits perfectly, you know, of course it makes sense. Um, Meshuga is like the, you know, the robot band in some ways. Um, and they have that, I love them, one of my favorite bands. Um, uh, in terms of death metal, um, you know, it's not quite the same thing, but there was the, there was the computer generated era of Morbid Angel album covers. Like, you know, there's the, there's like the, the formula, uh, formula's Fatal to the Flesh album cover. It's like the most like 1998 looking shit imaginable. It's like this, uh, this like uh, video game, like um, sort of like vector board at an angle. And there's like, like, like a sphere, inevitably, like a sphere, a 3D rendered sphere that has like a dragon coming out of it, like a, like a, a dragon made of fire or something like that. Um, and, you know, there's also all like the classic Dan Seagrave covers with the hyper detailed thing, like, you know, the suffocation 
um, Effigy of the Forgotten cover has a robot on it. It's like a, but it's like a trash robot. It's in a trash heap. I don't know. Like there's, I mean, like, I'm not immune to the charms of that kind of like uh, um, sort of um, lighthearted and like very like crisp and detailed, like um, uh, science fiction or fantasy, like, you know, book cover illustration imagery. I grew up on that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's definitely part of why I was able to segue into being a, like a death metal fan at a young age, because, because that, that kind of aesthetic is so pervasive in um, science fiction and fantasy, which I was like very familiar with as a kid being a little nerd, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so when I come across that stuff later on, I was like, Oh, like I'm right at home. It's magic, the gathering card or whatever, you know, like, um, and so um, I don't, I don't object to it. It's just not really what, I'm going for and there was also this period in the late like 20 aughts like you know 2006 to 9 or 10 where basically all of the death metal that was um musically ambitious in any way um especially in terms of technique i don't want to say technical because we just right. the shit out of that you know but like <laughs> um um but yeah so like um there there was just a just kind of a, a flood of those sort of bands with that exact aesthetic. And it was often these, this sequence of interchangeable um, computer rendered, very um, lens flary monsters in the covers of the albums. Uh, and at the time uh, I was uh, a music blogger. I, I did a lot of like music blogging um, from like 20, 2005 through like 2015 or 17 or so. Um, and uh so i was writing lots and lots of album reviews and i was specializing in death metal so i was like getting just like dozens of these albums all the time and so um i came to have a pretty negative association with how they looked for a while um and just was just felt like i was being oppressed by this like flood of these like tech death monster covers mm -hmm. um so i mean i was probably uh just uh talking a little shit <laughs> when i said that in the interview but um but I, I don't really have any serious objection to it or anything it's just like not what it's not what would be appropriate for any of my projects. So, gotcha. yeah, I was uh, listening to uh, the the inalienable. I can't ever say it. The inalienable, uh, dreamless, uh, discordance axis. Yeah, yeah. Difficult word, but um, uh, I mean the fucking blue skies on the cover. Like, what it does not send, uh, does not you know support well, the that. Music. <laughs> it, well, it, the funny thing about that one is that it actually is in some way like an album that would be extremely appropriate to have a. a a high def uh, monster of some kind because a lot of the lyrics um are inspired by uh neon genesis evangelion the the mecha anime um like the very like freudian or like lacanian i guess mecha anime um and so uh it, there actually is like stuff that would be accurately represented by a giant robot monster uh and that record um i actually have a copy of that album coming on vinyl pretty soon it's one of my favorite records but yeah it's great um, yeah, but uh, definitely uh, some uh, slightly, uh, to me, discontinuous lyrical content of that one. I do really like that um, those albums, all the Discord Sex albums came in like DVD cases, or uh, I guess they're supposed to be maybe like PS2 or like PlayStation mm. game cases. Um, I know that that guy's a big gamer too. Um, but yeah, when you when you when you'd buy them back in the day, the CD would come in like a, um, you know, you know, like the the, the book shaped black plastic cases that old yeah. video games would come in yeah um, i thought that was fun <laughs> i've never seen a, a physical version of the the album i've always just you know had the digital stuff um but uh, so it, uh puranism where you know the, the band name i guess sort of comes from um is some sort of philosophical skepticism 
and I, I'm big into sort of the world of skepticism. And uh, first of all, I was wondering if you could explain uh, Pyrrhonism and second, uh, your relationship with skepticism and that type of stuff. Yeah, um, I can give a very cursory layman's explanation of what Pyrrhonism is. Um, it's uh, a very early form of skepticism, as I understand it, like potentially like the, he often gets uh, the Pyrrhon, the philosopher is also, I think, more frequently in English known as Pierrot rather than Pyrrhon. I think the Pyrrhon is um, it's used in French and uh, maybe Turkish a lot, um, but he's often called Pierrot in English. Um, he was one of these uh, Socrates type figures who didn't write anything. So his teachings are known through his the writings of his disciples um, and his specific brand of skepticism was extraordinarily radical. Um, and uh, as I understand it, he really also walked the walk. He would like literally walk around town, not believing that things around him were real. Um, <laughs> and so his followers would kind of like scurry after him and keep him from like falling down hills and stuff like that. Um, but, but yeah, um, the, his famous, um, the, he's got some famous maxim and there was something along the lines of like nothing can be proven not even this which is like mm. a, a fun like sort of uh um sort of almost like a presaging of like a, an incompleteness theorem or something like that right um but um but i don't really know his work super well um first of all there's not very much of it he's like again he's mostly known by reputation as i understand it um but i also like i'm not really um we didn't choose the band name because we were um purporting to be adherence to his school of thought. Mm -hmm. um, it was something that we kind of backed into basically, um, where we, at the time that we were naming the band, um, it was the usual like hellish band naming process when there's a, like a de democratic setup, you know, no one could agree, blah, blah. We were all like 20 and just kind of like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like throwing like, you know, death metal sounding words around. Um, and my recollection is the way that it worked is that, um, uh, the the phrase Pyrrhic victory came up. We thought that was too much of a mouthful. And so we kind of cast about in the neighborhood and came up with the name Pyrrhon. Um, at the time, my recollection is I, I, I was like barely familiar with who he was at all. I, I, I was in college. I was I did study philosophy in college, but um, but I wasn't very familiar with uh, the man of the hour. Um, so I kind of just like, like Wikipedia him and like looked at, and I was like, ah, oh, this guy seems like a crazy figure that, 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 that fits. Um, uh, and then as far as my personal relationship with skepticism, um, uh, I wouldn't call myself a, a skeptic in the, the strict philosophical sense. Um, uh, I do think that it's a thematically appropriate name for the band though. Um, just in the sense that a lot of the, um, thematic content deals with, um, things not being what they seem um things not being real in the sense that you let to believe that they're real um sort of hidden aspects of of the world as it actually exists um and just kind of like this the sense of a veil the sense of um of, of being deceived by you know um the the face of things around you um uh in those ways i think it actually like kind of hit the nail on the head for what the band is about um, in a, you know, very like high level, um, you know, like base premises way. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but it's definitely not, um, meant to be taken too literally as a denotation of like what our perspective in the world is or what our philosophy is or anything like that. Gotcha. So, uh, when you say you studied philosophy, was that like your main thing or was that just one of the things that you're studying? 
Uh, it was an, yeah, I, I had a, an interdisciplinary major. It was a, a kind of a common one, uh, philosophy, politics, and economics. Um, uh, I focused on mostly ethical philosophy, um, political theory. Uh, I kind of like did a little econ, but not very much because I found pretty quickly that I didn't like it very much. Um, but yeah, so basically it was effectively um, uh, a law school theater program at my school. Um, and my intention was to become a lawyer. Um, which I abandoned um, part of the way through college as I came to realize that I would hate it and didn't really believe in the American legal system very much. Um, and also just generally became a little bit more despairing about the medium term prospects of our civilization. And so embarking on a, um, a career path where you don't get anything good to happen to you for the first 25 years didn't seem very appealing to me. Um, so that went out, that went down the tubes, but I did learn about some interesting figures, uh, in the process. Uh, are there any sort of like philosophers that you, uh, value more than others? Um, and it, I'm curious if you have any takes on Daniel Dennett, just because he's somewhat, uh, you know, my, my band's namesake. Yeah, I'm, I'm only vaguely familiar with him. So I don't really have a good, a good take that I can write off other than like, he's good. That's okay, my take. That's um, that's yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to speak out of turn on that. Um, you know, I, I feel like my my philosophy education um, got a little bogged down early on, and I found myself um, just like working through a series of um, uh, mostly like uh, classical liberals and democratic theorists that I um, find myself eventually stridently disagreeing with. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really found who anyone who I would consider to be um, like too relatable a figure in that that world. Um, and in general, I find myself frustrated by my lack of ability to derive like powerful insights from it. Um, so I kind of like broke up with philosophy actually um, at the end of college and kind of haven't really returned to it very much as an adult. Um, it's helpful to know the basics um, for understanding like the the pragmatic details of the society that we're living in. Um, because, you know, uh, strangely, philosophers, even 20th century philosophers have been very influential. Um, but but I, I, I've always struggled to really um, embrace one of them, I guess, is the term that I'm looking for. I, I, I can't I can't say who I like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to give a good answer to that question in that way. Gotcha. You aren't waving anybody's flag or anything. No, I wish. I mean, it seems like that was what I, what I always wanted was, you know, a system to live by. Mm -hmm. And then I kept on founding that these people were miserable and incredibly dysfunctional. And I thought how value, I mean, like, obviously, like, you know, tr like a trivial way to object to it. But I really did find myself often thinking like, you know, um, what's the point if you're if you're more tortured by the level of understanding that you've achieved? Mm -hmm. um, like, what what does that give you? And so many of them did seem to be there's so many philosophers seem to be pretty unhappy people, you know, so. Yeah, that seems, that seems fair. Um, so uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, ethics and aesthetics, I feel like, you know, they're both like these ways of assessing um, like value and that type of thing. And I know that, uh, you know, some of these reviews were saying that, uh, where am I going with this? Uh, some of these reviews were saying basically like that Puron is calling out edgelords and, you know, uh, you know, like, I saw that you said like a lot of metal is problematic and I'm curious what you would like to see. Cause like, you know, there's plenty of horrific shit to talk about. That's, you know, quote metal instead of like the sort of campy, 
gory like stuff and um i'm wondering if that type of stuff bothers you at all and if you'd like to see it like you know the whole like world move from that and if so like you know what to or what would you like to see metal like sort of grow into um in terms of content and yeah i mean to some degree you know metal is like it's easy to say it's easy to talk about metal at a high level as though it's a monolithic thing but it's not Mm -hmm. very like decentralized it's as decentralized as a culture can really get because it's um basically you know the the kind of metal that i'm that that we're discussing here you know it's mostly like underground metal and that stuff is really driven entirely by grassroots energy like there's not there's not there's an industry around it but the industry is is like you know um basically like a, a bottom feeder for lack of a better term. Like there's not really much, very much money. Um, so people are ultimately going to do what they want. Um, metal in particular is a pretty, it has like a, a pretty strong conservative streak. I mean, there's kind of countervailing pressures to be like um, exploratory and free and radical versus, um, you know, tr- like like all the, you know, weird like national, like uh, masculine traditionalism of metal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like to some degree, I just kind of have accepted that stuff's never going to go away. It's just part of the genre. Um, and there's also, you know, uh, sort of a, like this kind of like pro wrestling, wrestling, like sort of like carny thing going on with metal where it's like, it's supposed to be like schlocky, you know, people often like it because it's schlocky and because the stakes are low and because it's, you know, um, bright lights and big gestures and all that stuff. So like to some degree, like that's all just there. It's never going to go away. It, 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 that too is what metal is. But the reason that I was drawn to it is um, its ability to um, just like tap into and sort of artistically process like really disturbing stuff about the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that it shares with a lot of, you know, with like with punk and with hip hop and with many other like sort of grassroots um, underground music styles is that it, it can like um, look at things in an unflinching way. Um, and generally speaking, the kinds of metal that I like the best, or at least like the bands that I like the best have a way of, of, of doing that. Um, even when you look at like, you know, Metallica, the most popular metal band, you know, people by and large agree that the best Metallica records are their early material where they're often addressing like pretty hard facts about actual like real life reality, you know, like, um, and you know the same goes for a lot of the material on like Radiant Blood, right? Or um, a lot of the Black Sabbath material was like pretty explicitly like social social political in nature. Um, and so you know I wouldn't ever say that like metal should always be addressing serious adult themes about the real world because that's just it's it's not what it is. Like that's not going to happen. Um, I do think that there's a lot of like very rote, repetitive, boring imagery in metal. You know the zombies, the demons, the witches, the Satan, you know, like all that stuff, like, you know, the gore, right? Like the woman getting chainsawed in half, blah, blah, right? Like that stuff, like it's, it was transgressive and disquieting at the time that these genres were, were born, but now it's, it's like rote and, and, and pandering and like comforting in a way. Like, it's like, oh, look, like, I know exactly what this band's going to sound like based on the nature of like the album art, and like the specific beats that it's hitting. And like, I, I can know it's gonna be like a replica of this type of band from this era of the band based on just the, the presentation alone. And, you know, it's not for me to yuck anyone's yum. That's what some people want is to be, is to be pandered to in that way. But to me, that's like really not what it's about and really right. not what, drew, what draw, 
draws me still to this music is, you know, um, I, I want to, I, I do still want to be like shocked and I don't necessarily, necessarily in a, in a purulent way. I don't, you know, I don't need to see like more stream gore. I just want something that will surprise me and like make me think about what's going on around me and make me, you know, sort of wonder how they thought to do that. Right. Like that, that was what was crazy about that stuff at the time. It wasn't like, um, you know, there was the subject matter itself was transgressive, but also like the thought of like doing a band um, about something like that was, was, was wild. Right. Like, and, 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 and new. Um, and a lot of, for me, the value of these kinds of spaces is that it allows you to do this crazy new stuff. Like, you know, those bands we were discussing earlier, like, you know, like, uh, Affluence and, and Tantric Bile and Incentithrac and, and Jukeite, like that shit's new. No one's ever done that before, you know, like, and to me, that is, even if it doesn't appeal to very many people that has a great deal of value because what's interesting about the world and like what makes it worth continuing to experience day after day is, is, is the novelty of it. You know, it's, it's being, it's, especially when it comes to, you know, um, aesthetic experiences, it's like, it's like feeling yourself be changed by something that you encounter is like really incredibly powerful and really what like draws me to the world of art in general, uh, not just music. Um, and so when I see bands, that are like obviously very talented musicians and have a very high level of proficiency in what they're doing and a great deal of control. Um, and they're they're using it to, uh, you know, play repertoire basically, you know, like playing repertoire that's not dishonorable or anything like that, but especially in a space like metal, it's like explicitly not about repertoire, it's about, you know, um, you know, tearing people a new one basically. It's like, totally. we'll tear the new one then instead, you know, don't like, don't just revisit someone else's past success from an era that, you know, at this point, like a lot of people doing that don't remember the original like wave totally. of death metal. I don't remember the original. Like, I mean, I remember being like a four-year-old and like my friend's older brothers, like he, like being into Cannibal Corpse or whatever. But like, but I don't even remember like what it was like when those bands started appearing, especially like, or, you know, the thrash stuff was happening before I was born. Like, and that's the other thing is that like, you know, if you're going to be making this, um, you know, highly idiosyncratic, like very low commercial ceiling kind of music, yeah. at least make it your own, you know, like, why would you take your opportunity to do that and spend it um, reenacting something? I, I, you know, for me, that, that, that this, that's just not for me. And, and art that's like that mostly isn't for me. Sometimes I am like, oh, well, this is like, you know, it is a recapitulation of something, but it's so good that like, I, even I'm like, you know, I'm not totally immune to it, but like, you know, in metal, especially there's, there's so many like of these identical kind of bands that are just um, very carefully um, honing what they're doing to be an imitation of something else. And like, I, I, it just makes me say like, why, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. obviously I, I just don't, I, I can't relate to it. And I often find it unsatisfying. And a lot of the most popular stuff just is that. So like I'm constantly, you know, facing it. Um, so, so I've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it sometimes, but you know, I also at the same time accept that just is the nature of metal to some degree. So, mm -hmm. is it ever going to change? Like, no, it's not. It's never going to change. But you know, you can try to, um, in your own practice, do something different, and you can um, try to support and endorse and encourage other bands that you think are doing something different. Um, you don't have to settle for um, you know, Cannibal Corpse number nine thousand. So. Right. Well, I mean, that's definitely a sentiment that I can agree with. And yeah, I mean, it's all about the novelty and, you know, pushing 
uh, into something new and interesting. Um, but anyway, it's getting late over there for you. So I want to just wrap up with a stupid question. Um, I know that you have been voted the sexiest man in metal. Um, I'm sure that you don't like that being brought up, but, um, I, you know, on video here for those that are just listening, um, you know, you got luscious locks here. I'm just curious, um, for a you know, first time long hair, man, you can't see it. It's up, but, um, what, what's a good hair care regimen? <laughs> a good hair care regimen. Uh, well, y you should wash it and condition it. Um, you should also try to, uh, comb it out, um, a couple times a week. Um, just so it gets, you know, all tangled up and stuff. Um, that's pretty much all I do. Honestly. Uh, I try to eat healthy food. <laughs> I don't really know. Like, <laughs> uh, actually at the time of that, um, very fair and not at all manipulated by bots, uh, contest <laughs> that I, that I, that I won. Um, uh, I actually didn't even have long hair yet. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's possible that, um, my more generic metal guy look would not have achieved victory. In that. So, <laughs> so be careful what you wish for too. <laughs> Um, so you aren't one of these no poo movement guys? Uh, what? A what? Uh, uh, like a no shampoo? Oh, no. Okay. Not, not no, shitting. No but... poo. I was like, whoa, that's really extreme for the purposes of hair. Um, uh, I, no, I pretty much shampoo my hair like every other day, I guess. Uh, uh, you, you shouldn't do it every day because it, it's, it strips all the oils off your hair, I guess. It makes your hair kind of dry. But like, honestly, I probably am doing it too much. I'm, I'm told my hair... Uh, Caroline, my dear partner, has told me that my hair is dry, and I've said, like, cool, I don't know what to do about that, and I'm not going to do anything. So, um, yeah, let's just say, like, uh, you know, grow it out while you have it. Uh, I, I also um, had, like, super, super short hair for a long time, and everyone thought that I was bald because I was, like, shaving it so close that people thought that it was because I had male pattern baldness, and I had, to, I had to prove all the haters wrong, so, and now I've done that. It's very gratifying stuff. Cool. Um, insider tips on hair care. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks for talking. Um, it's been cool. Uh, do you want to like plug anything, uh, any websites or anything? Uh, any, any stuff? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you can find Puron's music on Bandcamp, uh, Puron band, uh, at bank doc, bandcamp.com. Uh, Sepidus is sepidus.bandcamp.com. Uh, I have another project where I play guitar called weeping sores. That's, I think it's we've I'm not sure whatever Bandcamp is. Let me check. Uh yeah, it's weepingsource.bandcamp.com. Um and then I actually have an, uh, a new project that's being announced pretty shortly. Um that so keep an eye out for a new band that I'm in that the world will know about soon. That will be I think of interest to people who listen to this podcast. It's kind of a shame that we couldn't talk about it actually, because I think you would have liked it. But oh, uh, maybe we maybe I can come back. Yeah, you're always welcome back. Um cool. Well, um, I think I also introduced uh, you wrong by saying that you were the singer in Weeping Sores. That's incorrect. Sounds oh, like... no, no. I, I do also do the, the vocals in Weeping okay. Sores. And there is another band called Glorious Depravity. That's an, another death metal band that I'm in where I'm, the, I'm doing the vocals. So it's getting hard to keep track of. So I try to just, you know, roll with the ones that are presented to me. Cool. Well, um, maybe another time we'll resume this um, at a, a better hour. But um, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks so much for talking, man. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, man. That was fun. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. See you. All right. Take care.